Well, good morning. Uh, morning to those of you that are watching us online. Morning to those of you that are joining us from our North Expression as well. Great to be together um, this morning. Um, if you've been kind of checking in or listening in over the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we are on a journey as a church at the moment where we sense this call of God to be stretching forward um, and particularly stretching forward in the area of worship. Uh, and so as we gather um, together on Sunday mornings, it's like we're coming into a gymnasium. Uh, it's like we're getting ready to stretch our spiritual muscles, to enlarge um, our expression uh, before the Lord. And we've been doing that in a, in a couple of ways. On Sunday mornings, we've been uh, going through a series over the last couple of weeks that we've called Worship Fit for a King. But we've also, as Andy's already mentioned, we've got this worship evening that's called Breathe, which is a brilliant opportunity for us to stretch our expression of worship. So let me encourage you, if you haven't come, do come along. It's tonight. That's a great time. We come along tonight, half past six, for a seven o'clock start. Um, that's a really, part, a really important part of our stretching in worship. But as we're focusing on Sunday mornings on this, this theme of worship that's fit for a king... We've allowed ourselves to, to root this series in a passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 16 where David as king of Israel is showing Israel the kind of worship that is fitting for the king of glory. And we kick this series off thinking about what it looks like for us to bring God our highest honour as we gather to worship. We talked about gathering intent on entering into the courts of the king with our highest praise. Last week, if you were here, Jim did a brilliant job, didn't he? Talking to us about bringing reverent submission to the Lord in our worship. Talking about gathering together intent on giving the Holy Spirit full authority to change us into his likeness, to transform us into his image, in order that our lives would sing as loud as our voices. That we, we come into the room, we gather together, we get changed in the room, that we might be changed out of the room too. And this morning we're going to pick up the subject of extravagant expression. Extravagant expression. And for extravagant expression to be part of the kind of worship that is fitting for the King of glory. And we've already read in, in previous weeks this passage in 1 Chronicles 16. We've seen David modeling uh, such worship to us. And in verse 9, he says, sing to him. Sing praise to him. Verse 23, he says, Sing to the Lord, all the earth. David is calling out to Israel. He's saying, Come on, let us bring a fitting expression of worship. Let it out, Israel. Let it out. You know, the Bible is full of songs and shouts, and it's full of postures of people raising hands and lying on their faces and all sorts of things, bowing down before the Lord. It's full of dances and, and gifts, offerings and sacrifices that people bring before 
the Lord. Now, we don't have time to, to go into all of that this morning, but, but like David, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, urges us to continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And David goes on in, in verse 25 of 1 Chronicles 16, and he says, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He said, Israel, let out your worship because the King of glory, he's fully worthy of our expression. Verse 29, he says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. He's saying, hey, Israel, come on, let's give something to God. Let us give something to God. Let us give what belongs to him, to him. But let's also bring a free will offering, not because we have to, but because we want to, because we can. Because listen, Israel, your worship communicates worth. Israel, your worship communicates worth. And more than that, the extravagance of your worship communicates the extent of that worth too. And so the question is Israel, and the question is for us too this morning, what's the king of glory worth to us? What's the king of glory worth to us this morning? And what does our worship communicate to the king? And what does our worship communicate about the king too? Now, like many of us here, I'm British. Have we got any other British people in the room? Oh, come on, we can have a little bit more engagement than that. Have we got any other British people in the room? Thank you, yes. I know we've got some South Africans in the room. I know we've got other nationalities in the room. I know we've got people, you know, come from Africa at times. But for those of us who are British by birth, British by culture, let's be honest, extravagance doesn't always come as naturally. Anybody else, you don't find extravagance a totally natural part of your character? So let's acknowledge that this morning. I want to, I want to tell a story. Um, you know, there was a, I was in an evening service in our church uh, a number of years ago, um, and, and I'm, I'm just there and I'm worshipping, and I feel the Lord starts to speak to me. And as the Lord's speaking to me, I feel Him speaking to me about extravagance, um, and also particularly about the word sincerity. And as, as the Lord's speaking to me, he, he brings this illustration to my mind. I find myself focused on those moments that we're probably aware of in our culture where somebody is falling in love with somebody and they decide that they want to propose. They want to, they want to get engaged. They want to make a declaration of their love for somebody else. And I feel the Lord reminding me and showing me that in such moments, even in our British culture, culture, we are, we are more disposed to embrace this thing of extravagance. That in those moments, somebody may choose to do something of a more public nature. 
They may choose to do something more costly in nature, more outlandish, maybe something that makes them look a little bit foolish even. If you're in America, it goes you know, on steroids, doesn't it? And it's in front of a baseball crowd or, or, or whatever it might be. But even in our culture, we have a tendency to be more ready to embrace it in such circumstances. And, and, and I felt the Lord was showing me, you know, when we do it, the reason that we do it is because in such a moment, our extravagance underlines the sincerity of our message. It underlines the sincerity of the love that we are declaring, that we are proposing. And so as I'm in this service and I'm worshipping and the Lord is speaking to me, I'm like, God, that is a great point. Thanks for sharing that, God. That'll preach. I'll just I'll pop that in my back pocket. That's a brilliant one. Great nugget. And then as I'm engaging with the Lord in worship, this, this conversation that's going on in my head, it sort of morphs and transforms into uh, more of a, a vision in my mind. And, and, I, and I find myself with this picture in my mind and I'm seeing this place uh, it's a real place known as the Guildhall Square in Portsmouth. Has anybody ever been there? For those who haven't, this is like the busiest thoroughfare in the city. Uh, on the one side, you've got the, the busy shopping centre. On the other side, you've got the, all the pubs, um, you know, the nighttime economy, the, uh, you know, kind of the hub of the university, like student accommodation, everything surrounding it. You've got the council civic offices surrounding it. Uh, you've got the, the, the Guildhall venue itself. Uh, so it's, like, it's just like this hub in the middle of the city with people constantly uh, traveling through it. And as I'm seeing this picture uh, of the Guildhall Square, uh, I suddenly start to see in this picture myself. And as, and as I see myself, I see myself do something a bit odd. Uh, I see myself lying down on my face in the middle of this busy thoroughfare. And as I'm continuing to watch this, this picture unfolding, I see this sign on the floor next to me, and I start to be able to read the words on this sign. And, and the words that I read said this. It said, I know this makes me look stupid, but you need to know there's a God who loves you passionately, extravagantly, and unconditionally, and his name is Jesus, and he laid down his life for you. And then as I'm seeing this picture, it's like the Holy Spirit says to me, come on then. Whew. I'll be honest, that was a terrifying moment. My heart's going in my chest. I'm like, God, what am I meant to do with this? I just, I just came here to sing some songs tonight. What am I meant to do with this? And I'm wrestling with this for the whole of the rest of the meeting, the whole of the rest of the service. And at the end of it, I'm like, okay, I've got to, I've got to do something. Tell you what I'll do. What I'll do is I'll go and tell, I was the student pastor at the time. I will go and tell my senior pastor what the Lord's been showing me this evening. That'll be my act of obedience. I'll, go, I'll, I'll just go and tell him and I'll say, hey, look, I know that when I walk out of this room, I'm going to want to forget all of this. I know that come tomorrow, I'm not going to want to do anything about this, so I'm going to tell you now, and I'm going to invite you to keep me accountable to it. 
Next day, I procrastinate. Day after that, I procrastinate. Weeks go by, <coughs> I procrastinate. <coughs> and I start thinking, you know what, it doesn't matter. It, it wasn't really that important. My pastor's probably forgotten about it anyway. A month goes by, my pastor walks into my office. And he says, hey, have you done it? <sighs> no. No, I kind of thought it had gone away, to be honest. And he calls me on it. And we actually go, and he says, I'll come with you. We actually go, and we do it together. And we don't tell anyone we're going to do it. We go and lie on our faces. We just lie there to pray in the middle of the Guildhall Square. And unbeknown to us, like one of our media team happens to be there. They take a video uh, of the, the whole thing. <clears throat> and actually, that was a blessing because I got to watch it back afterwards. I got a different perspective on the whole thing that had happened. And I was amazed as I watched it back to see the number of people that stopped. And didn't just stop, but, but stood and didn't just stand, but, but read. And didn't just read that sign, but walked around to the other side to read the other sign in case it gave them more. And didn't just read the signs, but the number of people getting their phones out to take pictures of what was written on this sign. There was, there was one lady in this video. We were there for over two hours on our faces, praying in the Guildhall Square. There was one lady in a pink coat with what must have been like a, a two-year-old daughter with her. She was, she was there within the first five minutes, like just standing there, reading this sign, taking photo after photo. Two hours later, she's still there taking pictures of the gospel. Taking home with her something. You know, I think as, as, we, as we were lying there, it's, it's just like people didn't have a grid of reference for it. it. It blew something in their mind. And I was amazed. But more than that, I was amazed that, that it, something shifted in our church. You know, after this, because we had the video, other people could see it, we were able to tell the story. I had young people in our church coming up to me saying, hey, we want to go lie down somewhere. I'm like, I'm like you want to? That's the last thing I wanted to do. Young people coming up to me saying, hey, will you come with you? You want me to do it again? You want me to come with you? As young people, they're like going and lying down in the square again. Then they're going and doing it on their own. They're lying down in the middle of the university campus amongst their peers. We're, we're writing more signs. We're adding to the expression of the gospel so there's more things for people to read. We're doing it as an alpha promo. We're having flyers there that people can take away. We're actually getting ready to be willing to engage and to talk with the people that want to ask questions. I was amazed. And I'm telling this story this morning. So I want you to know this is an area where God's been challenging me. It's an area where God's been stretching me because I'm British too. I'm British too and extravagance doesn't come naturally a lot of the time. But this morning I want us to be inspired, not by my story, I want us to be inspired by a far better example of extravagant worship. We're going to read Mark chapter 14, verse 1 to 9, which says this. Now the Passover 
And the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. I mean, that's a great name, isn't it? A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for burial, prepare me for my burial. Truly I tell you, whatever the gospel, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I'm like, wow, what a truly extravagant expression of worship that is. And you see, as, as she makes this expression, there are people in the room who are indignant. They can't get their head around it. How, how can you be so irresponsible? How can you be so reckless, so irrational? It's just so stupid. How, I, I have no box to understand what you have just done. And yet amid the indignation, there's this burning question reverberating around the room. Why this waste? Why this waste? Why would she break this jar? Why would she pour out this fragrance? Why would she waste this year's wages? And then there's more questions that arise. Like why, why would it matter that we remember her and what she's done? Why would her story merit retelling wherever the gospel is preached? You know, the Apostle John, in his gospel, chapter 12, verse 1 to 8, he writes his account of the same event, and he brings some additional insights. And in his account, we discover that this unnamed woman is Mary. That this is a dinner that has been arranged in Jesus' honor. Mark's already told us that this is in the house of, of Simon the leper, and who knows, he's not a leper anymore. They're not all gathering in his house if he's still got leprosy. That he's been healed at some point in his life by Jesus and is still carrying this label to mark what Jesus has done. And we discover in John's gospel that this is Mary, the sister of Martha, who had sat at the feet of Jesus. It's the sister of Lazarus, the guy who was dead for three days in the tomb before Jesus called him out. And we discover that Lazarus is sitting at the table. Her dead brother is eating with Jesus at the table. And this is just days before the Passover. 
Before they get ready to remember this moment in Israel's history where the firstborn children were spared from death. Israel are slaves to Egypt. Moses has been telling Pharaoh, let them go. Um, you know, and the Lord says, look, the last of these plagues, the angel of the Lord is going to sweep through. But if there's blood, if the blood of the lamb that you have slaughtered is on the doorposts of your house, then the destroyer will pass by. And your firstborns will be spared. And as they're preparing to remember this, and as Mary's looking around the room and she's seeing her dead brother spared from the grave, sitting at the table with Jesus, I think she's seeing the embodiment of the Passover lamb sitting before her, eating at the table in the person of Jesus. And I think something inside Mary is crying out, listen, dinner is not enough. To honor you with the aroma of some cooked food, it just isn't enough. It doesn't cut it. It's not befitting. It's not representative or proportional. It's like I'm I'm giving you my spare change when you've gifted me a mansion. It just doesn't communicate the the depth of my gratitude for what you have done, Jesus. And it doesn't communicate the extent of your worth to me. You see, for the other disciples, we know that they're still not really fully grasping what Jesus is about to do. In this room, there's indignation about the waste Days later, same chapter, Mark, we read about it. We we find them having the Last Supper. In Luke's account, we find the disciples, even at the Last Supper, arguing about which one of them is the greatest. We find them after that in the Garden of Gethsemane, falling asleep at the critical moment where Jesus asked them to pray, swinging swords to still try and uh, prevent Jesus' arrest. They're not getting it yet. But I'm noticing something about Mary, aren't you? I'm noticing something about Mary's story. I'm noticing something about her worship just days before Jesus would share the Last Supper with them. I'm noticing actions from Mary that can only really flow from a place of divine revelation. Like John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he said, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Actions that can only flow from that kind of revelation. I'm noticing about Mary that she broke this jar right before Jesus broke bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. I'm noticing about Mary that she poured out this perfume right before Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. I'm noticing about Mary that she wasted this year of wages right before Jesus wasted his life on behalf of humanity. I'm noticing that Mary made this lavish expression of love, communicating worth right before Jesus would make this lavish expression of the Father's love towards his people and would communicate that kind of worth to us. And I'm noticing that Jesus, he's saying we should tell 
of what Mary has done in remembrance of her, right before he says, do this, break this bread, drink this cup in remembrance of me. See, the thing is, as Jesus broke that bread, and as Jesus took that cup, it was a, an aptly fitting symbol of what Jesus was about to do. But nobody, nobody was getting indignant about the, the reckless wastefulness of the bread. No one was saying this is just so stupid to break the bread. That meal that he shared, that Passover supper that he shared, it could never convey the extravagance of what was to come. As fitting as it is and as important it is as it is for us to remember. And the thing I want us to notice this morning is that as Mary was divinely moved to make this extravagant expression, her wasteful worship became a window to the work of Christ. Her wasteful worship became a window to the work of Christ. See, where, where John the Baptist came and he prepared the way for Jesus' arrival, Jesus says, Mary has prepared the way for my burial, for my departure. Her extravagant worship became this ideal accompanying illustration to depict the, the heartbeat of the gospel wherever the gospel would be preached. But as moving and as inspiring and as significant as Mary's story is and was, she's not here. She's not here. She's not in the room. Her extravagance cannot fill this house, our house, with a fragrance. This is our day. This is our time. This is our turn to do something to honor the King, to honor Jesus. It's our job, church, to fill the house. It's our job to fill this house. It's our job to fill our house. It's our job to fill our places of work. It's our job to fill the Guildhall Square if we have to. This is our gymnasium. See, if we can do that, if we can recognize our job to fill the house with a fragrance so beautiful to Jesus, if we can imitate even just something, even just a, a fraction of Mary's extravagance, then our worship will become an even more fitting window to the work of Christ. And around the world that is watching our worship, there will be this burning question 
that starts to reverberate around the room. Why this waste? Why this waste? Why would she do that? Why would they lie down in the square? Why would our young people raise their chairs above their heads the other week? Why would Elliot in his testimony say, I want to follow Jesus whatever the cost? Why this waste? I want to finish with this thought this morning. See, for Mary, the reality was the fragrance was already in the house before the fragrance filled the house. But for the fragrance to fill the house, something had to break. Something had to break. I've already told you there's times where for me it's like I had to break something of that British reservation. And maybe sometimes it it feels for us like there's, there's something of our fear of what other people think. Our fear of failure or getting things wrong. Maybe sometimes there's a fear of, of lack or of, I don't know, God letting us go, letting us down, uh, falling flat on our face, metaphorically speaking. Maybe sometimes there's a, a fear of poverty or whatever it might be. Maybe there, are, maybe there are areas of idolatry. I was thinking about it. Isn't it the case that for Mary, she smashed what Judas served? You know, he got indignant because of, you know, he was a thief, it says. Money was his, his God, it was his elevated priority. Jim was talking about idolatry last week. Maybe sometimes there's those things that need to be smashed in order for the fragrance to be released. Maybe the worship team could come up for us. You know, in a, in a few minutes, we're going to take some time to honor those who have given their lives for our freedom in our nation. We're going to join with the, the cenotaph and we're going to take a couple of minutes. The nation is going to stand still to honor, somewhat extravagantly I would say, those who have given their lives for our freedom. And after that we're going to come back into a place of worship. And in these few moments, the next few minutes before we join with the Sanitaf, I want, us to encu- I want to encourage us to dwell on this question, this, this final thought, that for the fragrance to fill the house, something had to break. And I want us to dare to ask the Lord the question, God, what is it, what is it that you want me to break? It's amazing, we were praying this morning and, uh, and Margaret prayed something very specifically around things needing to be broken, not knowing what I was going to share. And that's precious to the Lord. So I'm going to just pray briefly for us. I'm going to let the team lead us for a little while before we join the cenotaph. And just as we're in this space of worship, let's let's allow our prayer to be, God, I I want to bring you something that's of worth. And I want you to, I want to invite you, I want to be brave, and I want to dare to invite you to, to put your finger on something in my life that I can break, that you want to break that's going to be beautiful to you. So why don't we, in fact, why don't we stand together for a moment and why don't we pray? Lord, this morning you see our hearts. 
and you know deep down how precious you are to us, to each one of us. You know deep down the worth that we place upon you. But you want us to be those that bring a sacrifice of praise. And you want us to be those who offer the the fruit of our lips, openly professing your name before the watching world. And we acknowledge this morning, God, that sometimes we find that difficult. Sometimes there are things that contain our fragrance. But Lord, in our day, in our time, we want our lives and we want your house to be filled with the kind of fragrance that is pleasing and is beautiful to you. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, even in these few minutes, just to begin to show us something that we can break, something that we can give that will stretch our worship. We may not measure up to Mary and her extravagance, but maybe today we can become more extravagant than we were yesterday. So would you come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Speak to our hearts in these moments. In Jesus' name.